All right, um, let's, uh, let's pray before we begin tonight. Father, thank You for Your love. Thank You for life and peace, Father. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. And Lord, I thank You tonight that as we gather in this room, Father, we do so, uh, Lord, not in my name, not in the name of the Foundry or in the name of Heritage Christian Center, but Father, in the name of Jesus. We're, we're here because of Him. Uh, we belong to Him and uh, we're His. And Lord, uh, He claims us as His own and has made us His own and You've made us one with Him, and He's made us one with you. And Father, we thank You for Your Holy Spirit who lives in us. And Father, we just uh, surrender and submit ourselves to Him as our teacher tonight. We thank You, Father, that He's going to lead us and guide us into the truth that You have prepared for us. Father, thank You for these men and women. Lord, those that are present in this room, those who are watching online. Father, thank You for the hunger. Lord, thank You for the desire uh, that's present within each one, Lord, to, to know You, to know Your truth, to know Your ways. Um, Father, we should care about You. We should care about Your purpose and plans for our lives. And Lord, I thank You, Lord, for men and women who do care, who, who are focused, who are engaged. Um, Lord, I thank You tonight that You're giving us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and understand Your Word. Um, Father, to receive it with meekness. And Lord, that Your Word would become a part of us tonight. Lord, not just a part of, of, our, of our minds or our memories, Father, but Lord, that it would become a part of our very being. In, in, in You, we live and move and have our being. Father, that Your Word and the truths that we hear tonight would become, Lord, so engrafted within us, Lord, that they become a part of our personality, even alter and change us, Father, from the inside out. Lord, thank You, Lord, not just for the men and women that are here and that are watching online, but Lord, I thank You for all of the men and women that these men and women are going to touch and minister to for Your glory, uh, both now and in the years to come. And Father, only heaven will tell, Lord, what our willingness to come and sit in a room for a couple of hours this afternoon to receive from you is going to mean to eternity for so many people. So we thank you for life and peace now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, unless you still have it open there from last week. And we, we turned there, um, but we began a conversation and some questions and dialogue and what have you. And, um, and so we never really got beyond that. So go ahead and find 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll probably just look at one verse uh, there. Um, but um, before we do, just a couple of things. Um, this is class number 21, and, uh, and it's, it's going to be uh, another week before, uh, no, there's two weeks before we have class 22. There will be no class next week, and I appreciate you uh, letting me have the week off. Um, uh, Pam and I were invited many, many years ago to the uh, Brother Kenneth Copeland's Minister's Conference, and we went that first year. And our children were very small, and it was just a big sacrifice, and so we always had an excuse for not going. And, and um, I guess about three years ago now, the Lord really began to deal with me about making the effort to, to, to go and to be there. And so um, I really committed myself to that, and, I, and I'm, I'm better because of it. Um, uh, we'll literally show up there at, uh, at Eagle Mountain um, at, uh, at 9 in the morning, and we will have services all the way through, back to back to back, take a break for lunch, a break for supper, and then go on into the night. So it's, uh, it's some jam-packed days of, of, of anointed teaching and preaching, and it, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a great uh, thing for me personally to do that. So um, anyway, so long story uh, short, no class next Wednesday. Um, but you guys have already proven if we take a week off, uh, you'll be back and bring somebody with you. So, um, so anyway, thank you for that. We will be having service here. Uh, Pastor Rick will be ministering uh, in the evening service at Heritage on uh, uh, next Wednesday night, and you'll be blessed uh, 
by him. The Lord uses him in many different ways, but uh, he loves to minister healing to people. He loves to minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit to people. So, um, so that'll be a great time here at Heritage next uh, Sunday night. Praise God. All right. Um, so class number 21, we're continuing this section answering the question, what is man? We said it's the first of three important questions. What am I? Um, who am I? Why am I? We need to answer them in that order. And in the course of our study over the last few months, we've said that man, first of all, is a God-class being. Then we said man is a spirit being. Number three, man is the legal authority on earth. And then that brings us to this fourth one, that man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. Man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. Now, we've referenced that um, many times, the passage out of Genesis 1. Um, where this earth as we know it and our existence in it, uh, the recording of that you know, uh, begins, begins there in, in, in the book of Genesis. But this time we're, we're doing it, uh, created image and likeness of God, uh, to, look specifically, to look specifically at some characteristics, attributes um, that you possess, I possess, because we were created in the image and likeness of God. And again, we said image and likeness means that we look like He looks, but we're also created by Him to function the way that He functions. Now, if I could just zero in, and, and instead of building this list, I'm going to give you the list and then come back and build it. But we said that man is a being created with the ability to, and that's how we're presenting these things. And the first one we said is that man is a being with the ability to think, reason, and form opinions. To think, reason, and form opinions. All right. So um, when we when we talk about this ability to think, reason, and form opinions, um, we could basically say think for ourselves. But I, I wanted to just add a few more words in there um, because ultimately our thinking and our reasoning brings us to a conclusion. Now tonight in the main service. Uh, we're, we're studying the subject of faith. And one of the things that we see about Abraham as he grew and developed in faith, and is our example for growing and developing in faith, is that he learned to manage the things that he considered. You can't just consider anything that comes along and be strong in faith. You've got to practice and develop in your life selective consideration. In other words, there are some things that you can consider that will cause you to be very weak in faith, cause you to stagger at the promises of God. But there are other things that you can choose to consider, amen, that will feed your faith and cause you to, to, to be strong in faith. So again, when we talk about created with this ability to think for ourselves, to, 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 to reason, we're, we're talking about the, the mechanisms of thought. And, and again, we'll talk about that a little more. But ultimately... It's what we consider that brings us to what we're convinced of. And by considering the right things, Abraham became fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. And he started out laughing at what God said. Now, if I'm not careful, I'll start preaching tonight's message. But anyway, um, he started out when God made this promise to him. He, he laughed. Sarah laughed. The Bible says that Abraham fell on his face before God and laughed. That's, that's how preposterous, impossible that it sounded, okay? So he went from laughing at what God said 
to being fully convinced that God was able to do what he said. And there was, that's a journey. You don't, you don't just get there overnight like that. There's a journey. And, and the way he, and a key factor in that journey is by considering the right things, he became convinced of the right things. If he had continued to consider wrong things, he would have continued to be convinced of wrong things. Okay? So, that's this whole idea of thinking and reasoning, and, and ultimately, we come to opinions. Opinions. And the reason your opinions are so important um, is because your behavior will always line up with your opinion of yourself. What you believe to be true about yourself, your behavior will always snap into alignment with that. So if your opinion of yourself never changes, you will never be able to change the, the behavior that that opinion is driving. It's like the two wheels of a motorcycle. One steers it, one drives it. One has the, the motor powering it, right? The other one is the wheel that steers it. And, and you, those two are designed uh, laws of physics. They want to line up with one another, right? You can turn it real sharp and, and drift, okay? But eventually they're going to snap back into alignment. And so what I see so many people do is they try to take the front wheel of their behavior and turn it, you know, because they don't like what they're doing. Their behavior's destroying them and their relationships and, and everything else, right? So they try to turn their behavior, right, change their behavior without, without ever changing that rear wheel of their thinking and the opinion of themselves, what they believe about themselves. Um, that's what's powering it. And, and you, if you can't change one without the other because eventually that behavior is going to snap back into alignment with what you believe, your opinions, okay? So... The, the ultimate thing that I'm, I'm, I guess, there's a lot of things here, and I know we're doing some review and some new kind of blended right now. But w as we work our way through this list, and it's a longer list than this, but I'm just going to give you five key uh, attributes here, um, is the power that each one of these has. Because remember, we said last week, I'll say it again this week, the devil is trying to use what you are against you. He's trying to take what you have, very powerful, very... Uh, uh, strong characteristics and attributes that, that have so much to do with your life individually and life in general on this planet and manipulate those things. And, and again, our ignorance, 2 Corinthians 2.11, is his advantage. So let me run through the list right quick. Think, reason, and form opinions. Number two, man is a being with the ability to agree. We'll talk about that in, in a moment. Number three, man is uh, a being with the ability to believe. Number four, Man is a being with the ability to experience and express emotions. Number five, man is a being with the ability to speak. To speak. Now we said that these um, five things were both dynamic, underlying cause, not often associated with what's going on above ground. This is something that's beneath the surface in our lives that's affecting what we see. But a lot of times we don't connect these things with the issues that we're experiencing in our lives. Okay? So that's, that's the concept of something being dynamic. But we also said that these five things are also interactive. Alone, as you think, so are you, the Bible says. Okay, That's pretty powerful. Amen? Um, uh, I, I want to go through all these at once, but, you know, whatever you, all things are possible to him who believes. Again, you see the power of this. But when you also understand that these five, although individually they are powerful, they are exponentially more powerful because they interact with one another. Okay? For example, anybody ever gotten emotional and said some things? <laughs> right? <laughs> that um, you would have never said it, or you at least would have never said it the way you said it had you not been 
you know, in an emotional state, let's just make it, let's make it gentle, right? If you had not been in, in, in an emotional upheaval, um, amen. So again, the, the force, that's, that's the whole, um, you know, using four-letter words. Corrupt communication. The Bible says it shouldn't proceed out of our mouths. You know, but even sissy cussing, dang heck, it, you know, right? In other words, it, th- these, these things, they release emotion from us, do they not? Right? They release emotion from us. They, those words are not just words. They're words that come from a place inside of us and they bring stuff with them when they come out of us. Am I right about this? You see, alright. So, <laughs> so the, these, um, these five things again, dynamic and interactive. Alright. Uh, I gave you about eight minutes to find it. 1 Corinthians 13, are you there? All right, verse number 11, it says this. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. One more time, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Things. Now, I know that it's not written here, but I think it's not written strategically so. In other words, he didn't leave this out um, because it wasn't important. He left it out because it was. And, and what I mean by this is what's left out here is our behavior. But I think as we as we pause and meditate on this, if we think like a child, understand like a child, and um, speak like a child, is it possible for us to then behave as an adult? <laughs> right? In other words, if, if we think like a child, if we understand like a child, and if we talk like a child, we're going to behave like a child. But again, so many times it's behavioral things, behavioral issues that, that bring us, you know, we, we cry out to God for help because we've got some uncontrollable issue, some behavior thing that we can't seem to control, and, and it, it's all about the behavior. And so again, when I say I believe strategically the Holy Spirit left behavior out for us to fill in that blank or for Him to fill in that blank for us as we're reading and studying these things. Let me say it another way. If, if how you think never changes, then how you understand things will never change. And if how you understand things never changes, then how you speak will never change. And if how you think, understand, and speak never changes, then how can the way you behave ever change? There are things that are underlying uh, uh, you know, sources that, um, of, of cause and change uh, that have to be understood. Now, your thoughts are the raw materials from which your beliefs are formed. Your thoughts are the raw materials from which your beliefs are formed. We looked at the passage last week in Luke 8 where Jesus told us, be careful, take heed how you hear. Not just What you hear, what you hear is important. What you listen to is important. The music you listen to is important. Okay, But in this particular situation, Jesus wasn't talking about the content. 
He was talking about the context. Okay? So not what you hear in Luke 8.18, but how you hear. And how you hear has to do with, as we said last week, the filter through which you hear. The, the filter through which uh, you listen to things. Um, traditions. Uh, personal beliefs. Preconceived ideas. Personal preferences. Personal experiences. The way mom and them taught you. Okay? All of these things become a filter through which we listen. How we hear things. I've seen folks who were very negative in life. They had developed over time a very negative mindset, a very negative perspective. And, and so like the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, they couldn't see good when it was right in front of them. You tell somebody that, that has a negative filter, you tell them good news and somehow they will make a way for the glass to be half empty. So no, it's, it's, it's how you hear. Okay. So when we talk about your thoughts, your understanding, and then your words, and we'll catch words on the flip side. In other words, it's number five, and we're on number one right now. Um, we need to look at these things, again, as a, as a progression. So your understanding is developed from the way you think. In other words, understanding has to do with the way, it's like how you hear, it's, it, it has to do with the way you process or the way you understand things. The way you process information. Jesus said if your if eye be uh, single, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye be divided, right, um, then there will be darkness in you. And if the light that is in you be darkness, see again, it's like, what in the world? If the light that is in you be darkness, how great is the darkness? How can light be darkness? If the light that's in you be darkness, how great is the darkness? Again, Jesus is talking about your perspective, the way you see things. If you're looking through a filter of darkness, even things that are of light right, will not penetrate that darkness. If the way you see things is from a perspective of everything's dark, everything, whatever, then again, that's, that's your understanding. The devil is not just after your thoughts. He's ultimately after your understanding. In other words, he attacks you with wrong thinking, with wrong thoughts, because he's ultimately trying to use those thoughts as building blocks to build within you a wrong understanding, which then leads to wrong belief, wrong believing. Are you following me? This is really, really important. Okay. Now, we're going to talk again in a, in a moment about emotions. But just let's connect this together while we're here. You cannot change behavior or the emotions that so often influence our behavior, or we could say influence our choices, without changing our thinking. Our thinking has so much influence over our emotions, and then our emotions have so much influence over our choices or our behavior. If you're writing things down tonight, write this down. Satan can influence your life to the extent he can influence your thinking. Satan can influence your life to the extent he can influence your thinking. The devil can't make you do anything. But he's going to try to influence your thinking, which is going to influence your emotions, which is going to make it very easy for him to influence your 
choices, your decisions, or behavior. Okay? Now, we've already... Yes, I will. Satan can influence your life to the extent he can influence your thinking. Let me, I probably need to reword this. Let me, let me say it another way. Okay? If the devil cannot influence your thinking, then he cannot influence your life. Think about it. That's, that's a better way of saying it, isn't it? Right? If we don't let him influence the way we think, then, then we've basically slammed the door. We've slammed the door. Every, every sin begins with a thought. It begins with a thought. The Bible says that we sin when we're drawn away of our own desires and entice, our own lusts and entice. And, and lust has to do, again, with, with thoughts and agreement and, and emotions. And, and that's, you know, just this thing starts to build inside of us and, um, and, and we become drawn uh, to these things, okay? Um, lasting change in life is more than changing one's mind, but it must begin there. I don't, that's maybe not the right way of saying that. In other words, obviously it begins with the new birth. But I'm, I'm speaking to those who are born again now. In other words, when the Bible says your mind is renewed and your life is transformed, He's clearly talking to people who've already been born again, have already had this, their spirit within them transformed. So he's talking about this ongoing transformation that takes place in the life of a believer. So I don't want to, what I'm, what I'm trying to make sure you understand tonight, you know, the changing, change in our life is more than just changing our thinking. But if our thinking never changes, um, really nothing else is going to change. Alright? Now, um, so we said that man is a, a being with the ability to think, reason, form opinions. Number two, man is a being with the ability to agree. Now, let me, um, let me give you a few verses uh, on this one. Alright? Matthew chapter 18 and verse 19. Um, it says this, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Matthew 18 and 19. Again, I say to you, I, I saw somebody turning to it, I apologize, I didn't mean to rush you there. If two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Is agreement important? Is agreement powerful? Let me give you a couple of other uh, passages. Isaiah 53, 1. Just if you don't mind, just jot these down. Let me try to run through these rather quickly, all right? Isaiah 53, 1, it says this. It's a question. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And of course, what he's talking about here is what God says versus what the world says. Best advice we could ever give anybody is agree with God and agree with Him quickly. And so that's basically what he's saying here is who has believed our report? Who's believed what, what God has said to you through the prophet? Who, who has believed the report of the Lord? What God says about these circumstances? What God says about the situations that you're facing and dealing with in your life? So we have this ability to either agree with God 
or agree with the other voices, with the other opinions, with the other thoughts, with the other positions that people have taken up here um, on this earth. Let me give you another one. Genesis chapter 11, verse 6. All right? And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. So this is uh, speaking of the episode in the Old Testament where they were building the Tower of Babel. And because the people came together as one and were in agreement that God said, this, this isn't some person saying, God said that people operating in the power and the force of agreement that nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. And these people were not doing something to honor God. They were not doing something that God instructed them to do. This was something that they came up with themselves. It was, it was out of human pride and selfishness that they were building this tower. And yet, even though they were going against what God had you know, desired for them to do, God said that because they are in agreement and are operating as one, anything that they set their minds to, if you will, collectively, um, they will be able to accomplish. All right? Now, um, one more verse, and then we'll talk a little bit about this. James 4 and 7. The Bible says to you and me, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, we said that these things, and I'm not going to go back through all that, but we said that these characteristics, these attributes, were both dynamic and interactive. They feed off of one another. So when we talk about you as an individual created with the ability to think, reason, and form opinions, that in and of itself is a very powerful thing. But when you combine that with your ability to agree, and when we say agree, um, we're talking about that on two levels. First of all, where you just you know, receive some type of information that you agree with, some position that you agree with. Agreement is, is like a formal acceptance of a thought. Agreement, like for instance, if you disagree with something, you tend to reject it, you resist it. You, you no, nah, that ain't right, that can't be right. And you, and, and you reject or resist it. But agreement is when you fling open wide the front doors of your mind and allow whatever these thoughts, reasons, opinions are to just come in freely. Okay, So God created you with the ability to agree or disagree. And it's a, it, again, we said these things operate seamlessly in our lives. We don't often realize their value, their importance, or the in, uh, impact that they have on our lives on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis. But our ability to, to, to agree, um, and also then the ability to disagree, uh, is, is extremely, extremely um, powerful. I said two levels. Let me come back to that. So the first one is to just agree within yourself. The second one is when you agree with other people. 
Agreement with other people links you together with them in a, in a very powerful way. Um, this whole idea of community, we were created for it. We were created to be in fellowship, in communion with, in community with God Himself, and to be in fellowship, communion, community with God's people. Amen. Now, again, agreement is at the heart of that community. It's at the heart of that fellowship. Uh, obviously, it's very difficult to commune and fellowship with people that you're in a constant state of disagreement with. Right? Are you following me? So, what happens then as this plays out in our lives, we start trying to find people that we can identify with, people that we can relate to, people that understand us. Birds of a feather flock together. Get in where you fit in. And so we, we start looking for folks that we have common agreement with. Right Now, that can be, just like all of these attributes, it can be a very beautiful, very powerful, very beneficial thing, but it can also be a very powerful, very ugly, very destructive thing. Are you following what I'm saying here? And again, I'm not trying to throw you in some kind of fit of regret, but you know, if you look back on some of the things in your life where you agreed with people um, and found communion and fellowship with them through that agreement that turned out to be a very harmful and destructive relationship in your life. So, this ability to agree. Now, again, what the enemy is trying to do with all of these is use these things against you. So, he's clearly trying to get us to agree with him and disagree with God. To believe His report instead of the Lord's report. To believe what the symptoms say instead of what the Word of God says. Remember, truth is the highest form of reality. I love that's a Bill Winston quote and I love that. Okay, So something can be factual. It can be a fact, but not, not be truth. And the difference between fact and truth is that facts are subject to change. It's warm today, but it'll be cold tomorrow. With the sun shining today, but three days from now it'll be raining. It's a fact that its sun is shining today, but it may not necessarily be a fact uh, in the future. Are you following me? So we've got to recognize that this world system is fact-based. God's kingdom is truth-based. So the enemy lures us in and deceives us by, by applying our ability to agree to facts right? And if we're not careful, even bring those facts up to, in our minds, the same level as or even more powerful than truth, which we know, of course, they're not. Remember, facts cannot change the truth, but truth can change the facts. Amen. It may be a fact tonight that you're running a fever, but the truth is, by His stripes, you were healed. Amen. So, when we agree, we've got to be very careful of what we agree with. Got to be very careful what we agree with, and sometimes just, especially if if um if you're not a very secure person yet, if you're still growing in that, or if um if you're like me, you came out of your mother's womb looking for somebody to please, you know, people pleaser, um that's your personality. You kind of you know bent in that direction. If you're not careful, you'll be sitting there, people saying stuff across the desk from you that you don't even believe or agree with, and you be going, yeah, 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 and and in the, on the inside you're going, no, no. No, right? Okay. 
So I know that that may sound like, you know, what's the big deal, Pastor Mark? Again, the devil is very sneaky. He's very subtle. And what we give consent to, what we give agreement to, what we sign off on in our lives, we need to become very, very selective. Very, very selective in our agreements. Amen. Because, let's go back to this last verse, James 4 and 7. Therefore, he says, submit to God, resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. So think of disagree and resist as, as being the same in a practical way. In other words, this is, this is a practical application of agreement here. Submitting to God means we're going to agree with God and we're going to disagree with the enemy. Right? If you want to deal the devil fits, anybody in here the devil dealt you fits in your life, you ready to turn the tables on him? Then stop agreeing with him. Stop agreeing with him. Amen. Don't agree with him. Agree with God. Choose God over him. Amen. You will frustrate him. Amen. You will frustrate him. Because for so long we've disagreed with God and agreed with the devil. We've resisted God and submitted to the devil. We've got to turn those tables. Amen. Alright. Now, let's, um, let's keep moving here. So again, I'm going to review each time. Man is a being with the ability to think, reason, and form opinions. Number two, man is a being with the ability to agree. Then number three, man is a being with the ability to believe okay with the ability to believe now let's um let's talk about this for a minute all right um mark chapter 9 and verse 23 amen mark chapter 9 verse 23 i want to go back to something if i could all right Mark chapter 9, verse 23. Um, let's, um, let me give you, stay right there in Mark 9. Let me give you the definition of dynamic again. I didn't review this a moment ago and I need to. Dynamic means a system or process characterized by constant activity or progress. Okay? Uh, amen. Alright, I said it slow five times last week, but I'll say it again, okay? Alright, I, I apologize, I'm not... Amen. I'm, I want you to get this, but I'm more interested in you getting it than just getting it, okay? Alright, so again, dynamic means a system or process characterized by constant activity or change. So, a rock is static. Opposite of static is dynamic. Dynamic is something that's always at work. It's, it's constant activity. It's constant progress. And when we say progress, obviously if we're talking about something that's dynamic in a negative sense, it's constantly producing negative results in our lives. Okay? That which stimulates change or progress within a system. We said again, these characteristics stimulate change. They, they stimulate progress. And then we also identified dynamic as being an underlying cause of change. Something that you don't readily connect with the fruit. It's, it's an invisible source producing visible results in your life. Okay? 
Now, why did I go back to this? I'm not trying to confuse you. I just I want to point out to you that let's go to what you think, okay? What you think is always at work in your life. It is always at work producing something in your life. It's producing some emotion. It's producing some uh, influencer of your behavior. It's influencing the, your opinion of yourself, good or bad. Are you following me? So when we say it's dynamic, and dynamic by definition is constant activity, right? And we said that these, these are all um, dynamic in nature plus interactive with one another. I'm really wanting you to see this in a practical sense. Um, God is a gracious God. He is a merciful God. And He'll overlook 50 faults to find something positive about you and shout it from the highest mountaintop in heaven. Okay? Um, he sees us for who He knows that we are. And He's able to look beyond uh, our, our, our physical weaknesses, our frame that's dust, and all of that. Okay? He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Okay? But, and I'm not talking about sides of my mouth. Just hear me. We sometimes want our one good decision to count more than our seven bad ones. I had somebody years ago, they said, man, you know, Pastor Mark, I tried that tithe and it's just not working, you know? And so, um, so let's, you know, let's talk, you, you know. You, and, and so what turned, what turned out was the tithing was a good financial decision, but this particular individual was making 12, I'm just, I'm just throwing out a crazy number. He's just, there was 15 bad financial decisions in the same month. Are you following what I'm saying? So when we, when we talk about our thoughts, your thoughts are always at work. We want our good thoughts to count triple, but then the time that we spend berating ourselves and hammering ourselves and talking about how sorry we are and how no good we are and all, see, we don't want those thoughts to count at all, and it doesn't work that way. Your thoughts are always producing. Whatever it is, you know, they're, they're, they're building uh, something, good or bad, within your understanding and ultimately solidifying opinions and ultimately feeding belief systems. Even if they're false beliefs, even if they're not true, if you believe them, they're going to have impact, influence over your life. So, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to get all uh, technical and complex and all this, but do you see the simple application of what I mean by something being dynamic? This, this is a force, a powerful force. As you think, so are you. Amen. And so, we've got to be constantly aware of these things. The same with agreement. So I mentioned, you know, you're just sitting there going, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Are you, even, are you even paying attention to what they're saying? You know? There you go. It's, it, it, and, it's, and the enemy tries to plant those thoughts in our minds and bring thoughts that, that he, he, see if he can get us to raise them, elevate them in a position higher than the truth of God in our lives. And, and I've seen, so amen, right? I mean, like the word amen, when you say amen, it just simply means so be it. 
it, it is an expression of agreement. So when you say amen to something, you're saying, man, I agree with that. So be it. Let it be. Mary said, let it be unto me. Virgin Mary said, let it be unto me according to your word. And it's one of the most powerful amens that's ever been spoken, right? So be it. Amen. But I've, I've seen folks that, you know, one preacher get up and preach life and grace and they'll amen that. Then the next preacher come up behind him and preach death and law and legalism and they'll amen that. Are you following? What I'm so we, got, we, we need to be selective because what you are agreeing with is, a, is constant activity, constant production in your life. Uh, Mark 9, on believe or agree? Uh, believe, is, believe is Mark 9.23. Um, amen. We got, we got a few. We could, we could stay here till the, you know, the next 10 classes on this point alone. I think I told you a couple of weeks ago that I, this is a tendency where I, I, and it's important, all this is important. But I, I've been known to get bogged down here for six weeks, and I'm, I don't feel like I'm supposed to do that this year, but the Lord is going to help us. He's going to lead us, all right? Um, but this one is, we're a being created by God with the ability to believe. We have that characteristic and attribute. It exists in us because it exists in the God that created us to look and function like He looks and functions. Okay? And so as is the case with these verses, the first thing I want you to see is just how powerful your ability to believe is. And so Mark 9.23, Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Okay? All things are possible to him who believes. How powerful is all things are possible? Another passage basically says the same thing, but just to make sure we got it, he says it this way. Nothing is impossible to him who believes. Okay? So, all things are possible, nothing is impossible. Through faith, through belief, through believing. Alright? Let me give you another one. Go ahead and turn to this one. 1 John chapter 5. In verse number 4, 1 John chapter 5, in verse number 4. So, we're starting with just the, um, I'm putting my hand up here like it's still there, it's not there anymore, but number 3, believe. But in the same way that we could just simplify um, thoughts or thinking, but we said that with that comes reasoning, understanding, forming opinions. Alright? Um, when we talk about our ability to believe, what we're really talking about here, and I'll explain this, is, is the difference between faith and fear in your life. Okay? So, 1 John um, chapter 5, and we'll look at verse 4. Alright, so let me, let me get a drink of water. You found it. So, again... We're starting with just the, the basic idea that we have the ability to believe. We take it for granted because, I think I said this last week, you, you, you sat in that chair as an act of belief. You, you believed it would support you and you sat in it 
And if you've ever looked at one that you weren't sure would support you, you if you sit in it at all, you sit in it real easy like, okay? So, faith is this, or our ability to believe, rather, is something that's woven seamlessly into, you know, 10,000 actions a day um, in our lives. Now, first of all, all things are possible to him who believes. So it's a very powerful ability. It's a very powerful characteristic. But when you take your ability to believe, and that is manifest or expressed in your life through faith, well, we've just gone to the next level. I'll explain the difference here, and it's very simple. But let's look at this passage. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our education. So what it says? This is the victory that has overcome the world, our money. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our good looks. Our ability to work a system. Our ability to land on our feet. Our ability to manipulate others. Our, no, no, none of that. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is He who overcomes the world, but He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And that's an open-ended question, but the answer to that is nobody. Nobody's going to overcome this world unless they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Think about, again, your ability to believe working for you is such a powerful thing. He says that it's, it'll not only overcome this world, if it'll overcome the world, it'll overcome everything in this world. Were we not given, we talked about this when we said man is legal authority on planet earth, were we not given dominion over all the works of God's hands? Are demons not fallen angels? And were angels not works created by God, created by God's hands? We were given authority over all of that. Amen. And so this is the victory that overcomes the world, overcomes everything in this world, our faith. I like to say it this way. If there's any area in your life you want to continue to lose that, just keep leaving faith out of it. But if you want to win... Learn how to do it by faith. If you want to learn how to succeed in marriage, learn how to do marriage by faith. If you want to learn how to succeed and, and be a success financially, learn how to do money by faith. If you want to be a successful parent, if you want to win at parenting, learn how to parent by faith. Anything and everything that you're interested in being a success in in life, figure out how to do it by faith and you will succeed. This is the victory. This is how we win. Amen. So again, I'm just as we there's a lot of teaching we could do here, but the primary purpose of going to this passage is I'm trying to get you to see how powerful your ability to believe actually is. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 8. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 8. Praise God. Let me, um, thank you, Jesus. Let me give it, let me, let me give you this. Here's, a, I guess, a primary difference, okay? 
It's like agreement. It's like agreement. You can, you can either use your ability to agree, connect it with what God has said and agree with Him, or you can use that ability to agree with, with the lies of the enemy, the facts, the fact-based system um, of this world. I know that especially some really strict faith teachers may disagree with me on this. I'm trying to start from the most simple, basic form and build up from there. Okay? So, think of faith as being your ability to believe conjoined with, connected with something God has said. So when your ability to believe lays hold of something God has said, that's faith. Okay? That's faith. Amen. Now, when our ability to believe lays hold of something the devil has said, because we can believe what God said or we can believe what the world's saying. It's not like we only have the ability to believe God and do not have the ability to believe other things that are not true. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. If knowing the truth makes you free, then being in bondage, being enslaved, being in addiction, at the root of it is either believing something that's not true or not knowing the truth. Usually some combination of the two. So when we talk about these things can either be your best friends or your worst enemies, you can use your ability to believe to believe God and overcome the world, or you can use your ability to believe and believe the lies of this world, believe the lies of the devil, and those lies get you so locked into, into bondage and confusion and misery. But again, the ability to believe is, is, is at the base of, of each of these. Okay, let's, I, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's focus on Romans 10 for a moment. I'm going to read a few verses to you here. Let's begin at verse number 8, Romans 10 and 8. But what does it say? That's an important question that we need to ask ourselves. What does it say? See, a lot of times we, we just hear what somebody, had, you know, what somebody else says. We need to hear what God has to say. But what does it say? The Word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Remember Isaiah, where God said, I've covered you with a shadow of my hand, I've put my words in your mouth, so that He can use His words in your mouth to plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, say to Zion, thou art my people. What does it say? The Word of God is near you, the Word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the Word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Man. Alright, look at me for a minute. I'm not done reading. Look at me for a minute. How powerful is your ability to believe? It can, it can enable you to receive salvation if you'll believe what the Word of God has to say about what Jesus has done for you. But notice the dynamic nature of these things. What you believe in your heart and then confess, speak out of your mouth. So how these two work together. Verse 10, For with the heart one believes. I have this in, in, emboldened in my notes. If you like to 
underline or, or mark in your Bible, that phrase, with the heart one believes, is, um, is extremely important. Because what he's telling us here is that faith is not a function of the brain. Faith is a function of the heart. Belief comes not through logic and reason. It's influenced by logic and reason and considerations and things that we think. But ultimately, it transitions out of the brain and is a function of the heart. So with the heart one believes, with the heart one believes, or with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So our ability to believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Again, our ability to believe, faith is a victory that overcomes the world and everything that's in it. And now we see our ability to believe is a critical element, cannot receive salvation without this ability. Okay? Let me give you another one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Now, we spent the better part of Wednesday night uh, in 2018 teaching from this verse. Um, hours and hours of teaching from this verse. And so do you see why I'm saying we can get bogged down here? When I say bogged down, we can just spend a lot, a lot of time here. And it's not that these things aren't important. It's just a lot of stuff that I want us to try to get to before um, we finish up in May. All right? So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. It's very... Brief verse, I'm giving you a moment to turn there because if you're not familiar with it, I want you to be, if you haven't marked it in your Bible and you mark things in your Bible, I want you to mark it, okay? It says this, For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Multiple times we see both in the Old Testament and New Testament, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. Most of those are quoting the original which said um, the just shall live by his faith. And we know that God has, according to Romans 12 and 3, God has given to every person the measure of faith. So when my grandson Oliver was born uh, last Thursday, um, as a baby gift, his father creator um, gave him as a gift the measure of faith. He has faith on board in his heart right now. This is why you can go to a place on planet earth where people have never heard the name of Jesus a single time, tell them about Jesus, and faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. They can hear the Word of God, and the faith that has been in them dormant can be aroused and awakened and, and gives them the ability to call upon Jesus. Of course, the Holy Spirit gets involved in that as well. Um, gives them the ability to call upon Jesus and believe on His name. So every person in this room has the measure of faith. I've had people over the years ask me, Pastor Mark, pray that I would have more faith. Well, again, I used to agree with that, but I can't agree with something that's not accurate. Okay, It's not more faith that we need. Jesus said, if you had faith the grain of a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, be thou cast into the sea, and it will obey you. So it's not more faith that we need. It's understanding on how to use the faith that we've been given. It's understanding on how to grow and develop uh, from faith to faith in the faith that we've been given. Okay, So here he says, we walk by faith, not by sight. 
Most people understand faith from the perspective of prayer. We, you know, we need to pray because we've got a problem and we need an answer. We've got a really big problem, we need a really big answer. But God, you know, we have to pray in faith. And so it's almost like, you know, people scrounging around in the sofa cushions trying to come up with some money, you know, to buy a burrito or something. You know, it's like, you know, we're trying to scrape up enough gather faith, you know, to get a prayer answer. That's, that's a wrong understanding of this. Faith is how we are to live. The just, the ones who have it right, there's lots of ways to live on planet earth, but the ones who have it right are the ones who are living by faith. Okay? Who are living by faith. So, he draws this line in the sand, we walk by faith, not by sight. Not by sight. So, as I've taught from this verse for years and years, I've always just went straight to what it means to walk by faith. But I think if we'll understand what it means to walk by sight, it'll give us better understanding of what it then means to walk by faith. Because walking by faith, these things are put in opposition to one another. Let me say it another way. If you're walking by faith, you're not walking by sight. If you're walking by sight, you're not walking by faith. Okay? So to better understand from a practical perspective what walking by faith looks like in a person's life, amen, this is what the Holy Spirit spoke to us, okay? Walking by sight is when you align your thoughts, words, and actions with the way things look, seem, and feel. With the way things look, seem, and feel. That's all factual. The way things look, the way things seem, the way things feel. Those things may be one level or one version of reality. But again, we're talking about things that are factual now, not truth-based. So if we're, when we walk and live by sight, this means we're making our decisions based upon the way things look, seem, and feel. We're deciding what we're going to give God based upon how things look, seem, and feel. You follow what I'm saying? We've got to take that step of faith. Faith aligns its thoughts, words, and actions with what God has said in spite of the way things look, seem, and feel. Let the poor man say, I'm rich. Let the weak man say, I'm strong. Amen. Well, you may feel weak. It may, you may seem broke. <laughs> Are you following me? But again, faith aligns itself with truth, with what God has said. Because the idea is we're aligning ourselves with what God has said to change the way things look, seem, and feel in our lives. But if we're always agreeing with and aligning with and, and, and our minds are, are being dominated by the circumstances and situations, the happenstances, the circumstances. That's just talking about all the things that stand in, around you in a circle, right? Heard Creflo Dollar say, you know, um, so many times we tell God what our problems are saying to us. Faith is telling our problems what God said about them. Whew, I like that. Amen. All right. So, walking by faith, not by sight. He's talking about a lifestyle here. He's talking about the way we you know, live our lives and strive to live our lives on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. All right? 1 Corinthians 13, 13. 1 Corinthians 13 and 13. Amen. You get anything out of this tonight? kind of moving through this rather quickly, but that's okay. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit. He's helping us. He's going to teach us. I know more than one of you in here 
Um, I'm sitting here teaching from one verse, and the Holy Spirit's bringing two or three other verses related to your hearts and minds. So, amen, that's Him, that's His work, and we appreciate Him. Honor and acknowledge Him. Praise God. Okay. Let me... Um, this keeps jumping up in my spirit, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Some of you heard me do this before. So I'm either going to plant this or we're going to water it, okay? If you've already heard it, we're watering it. If you've never heard it, we're planting it, okay? Faith is to the realm of the Spirit what your five senses are to the realm of the flesh. Faith is to the realm of the Spirit what your five senses are to the realm of the flesh. God created your five physical senses. And those five physical senses enable you to connect with and function in a physical world, a physical environment. He then gave you, if I could call it, the sixth sense of faith. Faith is a spiritual sense. And what I mean by that is, faith enables you to connect with the unseen realm of the Spirit and function there in the same way physical senses enable you to connect with and function in a physical environment. We were never created by God for our senses to rule us. Our physical senses were to serve us, not rule over us. But what happened was, what happened was, what happened was, we were created to live by faith, and faith is a function of what did we say? The heart, right? But when we sinned, when mankind sinned, when Adam sinned, we lost our heart connection with God. Now, in the same way, Let's go back to the physical sense uh, uh, example, okay? Let's say someone loses their ability to hear. They compensate for that loss by plugging another one of the physical senses in its, in its stead, in its place. So they can't hear. They learn to listen with their eyes by reading lips. Am I right about this? Somebody loses their ability to see. They learn how they substitute in by learning how to read with their sense of touch, with their fingertips. It's a phenomenal thing. Okay? Or, you know, communicate through sign language, these different things. Now, when we lost our heart connection with God, we didn't stop existing. But now we've become, if I could, handicapped. And so, what this planet has done, what people have done, is they've taken their brain and they've substituted it in place of their heart. Instead of living out of and from our heart, we're living out of and from our brain. We've substituted our brain for our heart. Now the problem with that is, um, there's a lot of problems with that, but one of the key problems with that is, anything that has to do with faith, your brain is going to raise a red flag. Because when God created your brain, He created your brain as a command center, and one of its primary functions is survival. Your brain keeps you alive. Your brain reminds you to breathe or even breathe for you. Are you understand what I'm saying? Praise God. So, when think about it now. When we try to substitute our brain in place of our heart, and then we try to do what God says, our brain raises that red flag and says, hold on a second. Are you really fixing to give God 10% of your income? You haven't been able to live on 100% of your income. So what are you going to... Listen, I, I'm not bragging when I say this. My parents, thank God for them. They taught me to tithe. 
If I got a dollar's allowance, 10 cents went in an envelope, and we licked it and everything, right? And they trained me to do that. And so I've been so blessed in my life to be a tither. Amen. But at 51 years of age, there are times when I pull out that checkbook first of the month to write that tithe check, and my brain says, are you sure you ought to do that right now? Maybe you should wait till the end of the month. Don't get mad at my brain. It's doing its job. It's, it's, it's trying to keep me alive. It's a survival thing. Are you following me? But listen now. We've got to recognize the difference between our brain and our heart. Faith is a function of the heart. And so another way of understanding walking by sight is, again, the physical senses connected to the brain and us making decisions on how we're going to live our life based upon that information, either that information alone, that information above what God is telling us to do in our hearts, or where we try to ride the fence somewhere in between the two back and forth. Amen. We used to sing a song, uh, I have decided to go all the way with my God. Amen. I love that line out of that song. And so, you know, it's time, brother, sister, let's just go with what he said by faith in our hearts. Amen. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. It says this, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, the Lord showed me a while back that most people on planet earth are living in direct opposition to faith, hope, and love. Instead of a life of faith, they're living a life dominated by fear. Instead of a life of hope, living a life dominated by regret. And instead of a life of love, they're living not a life of hate, but a life of selfishness. So the opposite of faith, hope, and love is fear, regret, and selfishness. Fear, regret, and selfishness. Faith is your ability to see beyond this created realm. Hope is your ability to see beyond what you're facing and dealing with in your life right now. But love, the greatest of these, is your ability to see beyond yourself. And if you can never see beyond yourself, you'll never see beyond what you're dealing with in your life right now. And if you can never see beyond what you're dealing with in your life right now, you'll never be able to see beyond this created realm by faith. Amen. So the enemy has tried your whole life to manipulate you into not a life of faith, hope, and love, but one of fear, regret, and selfishness. But thank God we've been set free. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen. And so now, because we're no longer bound by sin, because we've become sons and daughters of our God, we have been not just freed from sin, but we've now been freed to live the life that God always intended for us to live, and that is a life of faith, hope, and love. Now, I'm really, 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 really tonight wanting to move on from this. We could talk about this for hours, okay? Um, as a matter of fact, it is, it is one of the... One of the last sections of the book, because you know I believe faith, hope, and love are the three pillars for the foundation um, of the life that God created us to live. And and I could I could literally my heart is so full on this subject. Um, but let me instead of just trying to give you verse after verse after verse, I'm wanting you to see how this plays out 
on a practical basis in your life. It's a dear sister who, um, when I first met her, she, she was, uh, I can show you just about where she was sitting on the aisle where the women sit, tier two group, Monday morning. It was the first time I'd ever taught that class. And um, her name's Audrey McIntyre, now it's Audrey Tripp. And um, she's married, doing well. Um, man, you ought to hear this girl's testimony. Um, God gave her this brilliant idea to, to integrate um, peer support with, on a faith, Christ-centered basis in, uh, in a secular mental hospital um, for teenagers. And, um, and, this is the, and I'm not making this up, okay? The day that she called me, she said, Pastor Mark, I now have keys to the mental hospital I was once locked up in. All right? Now that's, that's what God will do for you right there. Amen. Amen. But I'll never forget, I went into that class, and I, I had in my mind, you know, that we were going to have all these just brilliant discussions, and people were going to be just crying at the altar and all sort of stuff. And, you know, so I just go in there. You know, man, I was wide open. Those of you who have been through the Monday mornings with me, y'all know it's my fear and trembling hour, you know, before God. And, and um, you know, it was like... You know, uh, some of y'all know Robert Marlowe. You know, some guy got smart with me, and Robert Marlowe came over the pew, you know, the seats there in the foundry, you know, is like going to defend me. I'm like, whoa, Robert, whoa, don't hurt him. You know, it's okay. You know, it's, it was not anything that, that I was imagining. And I'll never forget, Audrey, um, just kind of real stern, you know, she says, uh, I forget how many decades she was facing in prison, how many charges she had. And she basically, she says, this is my situation. What can this God you're talking about do for me, right? You know, so, you know it was kind of oh, one of those things, right? But um, I'll tell you, among other things that that sister learned, is she learned faith, hope, and love. She learned faith, hope, and love. And, and she called me not long after she went phase three. And for her, it was, uh, it was finances. And, and, and her finances started weighing heavily upon her um, she had, like a lot of us, you know, when we get out there in, in, in the world and sin, we accumulate a lot of debt, some of it's legal, whatever. And so she's facing the financial challenges of trying to get started. She was facing the financial challenges of some of the bills and debts and fees that she still owed. Um, and, um, and so that was causing fear, right? Then regret. Oh my God, why did I do that? The jobs that I had, you know, she'd had some really good jobs in, in her life in the past. And, and, um, and then all of a sudden, she feels herself start turning in, inward again, selfishness again. You see how this works? Now, I'm not trying to embarrass Audrey. If she was here, she could tell you the story way better than me. But that was the breakthrough moment for her is when she realized, ho, 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 you know, she realized what, what was happening. You know, how the fear was creeping back in, the regret was coming back in, and the selfishness was coming back in. And you can't have your best life living fear, regret, and selfishness. You can't live the life God created you to live, the wonderful, fulfilled, purpose, destined life that He created you to live if you're going to be locked into a system of living that is fear-based, regret-based, selfishness-based. Can somebody give me a Baptist nod, an amen, or oh me or something? All right. So I'm just trying to show you how this works on a practical level. Sometimes when I teach these things on Monday mornings in the chapel, I'll turn around and I'll point to the stage and I'll say, if you come to the foundry, graduate 12 months later, walk across this stage, Pastor Bill acknowledges you, gives you your certificate, and you walk off the other end of that stage and are still living a fear-based, regret-based, selfishness-based life. What has changed? Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. So when we talk about 
these things and and the and the power of these things. Faith, hope, and love are a, they're a system. When it says abide, he's talking about three things that stand together. You can talk about these things individually, but they're this system. For instance, faith energizes love. Faith works by love. Love, faith gives substance to things that you hope for. All these things um, are dynamic and interactive in and of themselves. All right. Now, with all that said, and I could have said more about it, let's just take the concept of fear for a moment. Okay? Because fear is a serious factor in so many people's lives. And fear is, well, I was going to say connected. It's not just connected. Let me just read what I have in my notes. Fear is your ability to believe working against you. Fear is your ability to believe working against you. Now remember, we said of these characteristics, they're either your best friend or your worst enemy. They'll either help you overcome this world and everything that's in it, or they'll make you subject to and, and, and mocked by this world and everything that's in it. They're the, it's... I was, um, I was working on some things this afternoon and um, I've never, never the whole, I believe the Holy Spirit spoke this to me. I'm not audibly, but just in, in my spirit. Satan has set up a rogue kingdom on this planet. He has um, infiltrated and contaminated and he operates through deception, smoke and mirrors. I've already told you a few times, I'll tell you again. He's using what you are against you. Can't kick in the front gate of your life, make you bow to him. When he wanted the Garden of Eden, it was made perfect and beautiful. God said it was good, said it was very good. Satan wanted to mess it up. He did not have the ability, the power, the authority, the wherewithal to march into that garden and mess it up. So what did he do? He deceived the ones who did have the authority, the ability, the wherewithal to mess it up for him. Are you seeing this? Same is true when it comes to your own life. He cannot mess up your life unless you cooperate with him. And, and, and the, I guess the most obvious one would be agree with him. But it's not just... In, a, in agreeing with him, it's, he's very subtle, he's very deceptive. But, so, he's, he's coming and he's set up a, a rogue kingdom. He has no valid authority. God did not authorize him to come down here and set up a kingdom. He infiltrated, contaminated, and he's, he's utilizing, taking advantage of, manipulating what you are. Again, if every person on planet earth quit sinning, his whole kingdom would collapse like a house of cards like a house of cards. Saddam Hussein was torturing people, all kinds of horrific things. But when all the people that he was ruling over were taken out from under him, right? He was, they found him in a hole in the ground, right? He derived all of his power, all of his authority from the people that he was a tyrant over. 
And that's, that is Satan's rogue kingdom. But this is the first time the Holy Spirit's also, he used the word rogue, and he said it was parasitic. Para, you know what a parasite is? A parasite attaches itself to something that's alive and starts sucking the life out of something that's alive. It's parasitic. Taking advantage of what's the life that's in something else and using that to fuel its own enterprise, if you will. And so in addition to the deception and the sin that keeps His kingdom afloat, we also see that an integral part of that is fear. He's the original terrorist. Control through fear. Now, we don't often recognize the devil being behind it, but that's exactly who's behind it. God is not behind you experiencing the dominant negative emotion of fear. Fear of God is something completely different. We'll talk about that, that later. Okay. That's an attitude, by the way. The fear of God is an attitude. The fear we're talking about now is the dominant negative emotion. The Bible says it has torment. But again, the devil could not produce fear in us if we didn't have the ability to believe. Let me try to explain it to you this way, alright? If you're here tonight, or listening online, and you are afraid of a snake, it's because you believe the snake has the ability to hurt you. That's the fear. The fear is based in a belief, and that belief is that the snake can hurt me. doesn't matter if it's a green snake and harmless. You will still react. If, you, if you're afraid, it's because you believe the snake can hurt you. doesn't matter if it can or can't. It's back to Satan hijacking, if you will, manipulating your ability to believe. Now, anything you fear is some other than God, and this is why Him alone, God alone, should be feared. Because anything you fear has authority power, influence over you. Think about, again, let's go back to the snake. Some people don't like me seeing the word snake. Some people like to think about it, right? They have that kind of a, a fear about them, okay? Um, but, you know, think, think about, okay, so this, this thing has an ability. Faith without works, corresponding action, but he's not just talking about something that we program or manipulate. He's talking about if there's genuine faith in your heart, it will produce this kind of response. It'll produce this kind of action in your life. And in the same way, genuine fear is expressed, released, comes to the surface by some kind of effect or reaction on our part. 
scream, a holler, a climb in a, in a chair, a run off, you know, what have you. My brother one time, he had a praying mantis on his finger, right? And he worked with this guy, big guy, muscular guy, huge guy, right? Guy had on a white t-shirt. And when my brother walked up with that praying mantis on his finger, freaked that guy out. Fear. Well, and isn't it, isn't it odd, but when the praying mantis jumped off of my brother's finger, guess who he jumped on? <laughs> he didn't jump on the people who thought he was cool. So he jumped on that man's stomach and started running toward his face. I hope that praying menace had prayed because that man started smashing that praying menace all over his belly, right? You see, big old man, little bitty bug, fear. It produced a response. All right, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Whatever you give fear to, you give power to, you give it place in your life, position in your life to control you. Am I afraid of snakes? No, ma'am. I, uh, I have a healthy respect for them. Right? Right? Do what now? I have killed quite a few of them with a the shovel. As a matter of fact, um, I, I, there's so many stories here, but when we moved into what we call the warehouse worship center at the cabinet shop, um, we had ordered uh, the, uh, the first set of chairs from the church, and they sent them stacked up wrapped in cellophane, like saran wrap, you know what I'm talking about, so they wouldn't tip over. And so we were setting them up in there, and um, so we had just mountains of this plastic wrap. And um, I grabbed a, I mean, you could carry, you know, a ton of it, and, but it was light, you know, it weighed nothing. So I'm carrying it like this, I'm headed out across the parking lot, it's night, it's cool outside. I'm going to the dumpster, and my next step would have been right in the middle of a coiled up copperhead. That's a true story, true story, okay. Well... Um, of course, we uh, took a two by eight to it and killed it. All right. Now, fast forward. Pam and I are here late, late, late um, the Saturday night into Sunday morning before our 20th anniversary celebration. This would have been uh, June of this past year. And um, she went to let Colonel out uh, to use the potty. And um, again, a huge snake right out just outside the door um, so you know it's just the enemy trying to mess with you I, again just snakes at the door of the church what up you know I'm not you know all right um, um, well the other snake story I can't listen now we can't do this again tonight all right okay all right we'll all get together for eat pizza something that was back when this class was in this room over there. And um, 
So uh, John Mark, my son, was in the class, and uh, so I'm I'm sitting there teaching, and um, my phone starts blowing up, his phone phone starts blowing up, and um, and I'm like, they, surely they know what's going on here, you know? what I'm saying I mean, I'm I'm in class. Hello, I've done this for 12 years now, whatever. So, um, so what? Here's the backstory, okay? Um, Bethany wasn't married yet, so. Um, Colonel's out in the backyard barking at a tarp covering our firewood. And, um, and Pam couldn't get him to come in the house. And she said, Bethany, would you please go get Colonel out of the house? So, so Bethany goes out there, and he's barking at the tarp. And she leans down, and she says, there's nothing under that tarp, and pulls it open. And there was something under that tarp. It was a, um, a very large snake. And, um, and when that snake struck at Bethany... Colonel grabbed it by the head. Okay? Smart. These dogs are smart. See? Amen. So only, if you think about it, it's the only place he could have grabbed the dog. If he'd have bit him in his belly, then the dog would have swung around and bit him. The, the snake would have swung around and bit the dog. So he grabbed it by the head and, um, yeah, took care of it. So that was the whole fiasco. They, I actually left class early that evening because... Colonel had blood all over him, and they thought that he had been bitten by the snake, you know what I'm saying? And as many things as I remember about that precious dog that means so much to our family, um, when I got to the vet, and the look on his face, sitting there on that exam table, <laughs> that blood all over his face, and Kim, I'm telling you, he looked at me like, I got him, Dad. I got him, man. I'm telling you. I am telling you, he was like so proud of himself. Um, but uh, anywho, uh, Yorkshire Terrier. Yeah, little Yorkie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. No, 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 no. Um, I w he's usually here. He's not here tonight. He's usually in my office. So. Colonel's about that big, yeah. Less than 10 pounds. So, yeah, yeah. So He is a very special Yorkshire Terrier. No doubt. Yes. Absolutely. 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 Amen. Wow, y'all, I have not put any of these last verses up on the board. Please forgive me. There's Romans 10. Um, my goodness, what happened to me? All right, where are we right now? Where did I leave you? Hebrews 2. Okay. Who is flying this plane? All right, Hebrews 2 and 14. Are you ready? Let's, um, amen, we've got about six minutes. Can you believe it? Where does the time go? All right, Hebrews 2, 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Okay? Now, he's talking about fear here. And specifically, he's talking about 
the fear of death. Okay? And the fear of death is the thumb, if you will, on what I call the hand of fear. Five fears common to man. Fear of lack. Fear of failure. Um, fear of uh, the unknown. And I do not remember the, the fourth one. Lack. Rejection. Thank you. Fear of failure. I'm sorry. Fear of lack. Fear of rejection. Fear of failure. Fear of the unknown. So, think of the hand. Lack. Rejection. Failure. Unknown. But the thumb, the thumb is fear. Fear of death. Okay? So, when you talk about the grip of fear, it's not that the, that the others can't grip us, but what strengthens and compounds the, the grip of the other four is the fear of death. Or I could say it this way. The fear of death is the granddaddy of all the others. Let me explain. Years and years of asking such questions, fear of public speaking remains one of the most powerful or one of the strongest fears that you know, people say they experience in life. And then you even see where people say things like, if they kill me, they can't eat me. Have you ever heard that? Like get up in front of people, it's like, well, you know, if they kill me, they can't eat me. You know, it's like, notice now we're like thinking that we could literally die from this experience of getting up in front of people and saying something. Kind of goes back to what Aaron was saying a moment ago, just a, a fear of people. So obviously that's rooted, you know, getting up in front of people. That could be a fear of rejection, a fear of failure, a fear of the unknown, a fear of lack. I won't have enough to say. What if it doesn't go as planned? What if I fail miserably? What if they laugh at me and walk out of the room? See, all these fears that are combined into one. But subtly underneath all of those is a fear of death. Fear that we won't have enough. Fear of lack. If we don't have enough for long enough, we'll die. So when he talks about the fear of death here, that's not to the exclusion of the other fears. It's, it's speaking of um, you know, how the fear of death is the backbone, if you will, feeding those other four categories. Okay? The Bible says He's delivered us from all of our fears, plural. Okay? Now, notice that by releasing us from the fear of death, Verse 15, and release those who through fear of death were what? All their lifetime subject to bondage. I've told you this a few times. I'll tell you again. Bondage is an addiction word. He's talking about people who are enslaved um, to a, a behavior, a, a lifestyle that they can't break free from, something that has, has um, kept you and held you back. Let's just say it that way, okay? So, let's make a really important connection here. I'm feeling pressed for time, but I want to make sure we get this said tonight. Okay, so, he said the fear of death 
is what makes us subject to bondage. Or we could say subject to addiction. That word subject means um, inclined to. Lean in the direction of. Cracks the door open. Predisposes is another word. We're predisposed to addiction as long as fear is operating in our lives. Romans 8 and 15, just, I'm going to go for sake of time. Romans 8 and 15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He's talking about what happened to us when we were born again. When we were born again, we did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear. We received the spirit of liberty, right? We received the spirit of freedom. And and we've been adopted by God and born of His seed. And now the Holy Spirit inside of us joins together with our born-again spirit and and cries out to God and calls Him Abba, Father. That word Abba is like a term of endearment. It it would be like equivalent to our referring to, to our papa or our daddy, our dad, okay? So he's saying that we were given not the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now, if we take these two verses, Hebrews 2 and 15, and then Romans 8 and 15, we see something here that I believe is very significant. We see what I call a self-sustaining cycle. It's, a self-sustaining cycle is when one thing fuels and compounds another thing. So for instance, when, when we have some issue in our life that causes us pain, because we were not created to be in pain, we're going to try to uh, find some solution, some coping mechanism for that pain, some way to, to anesthetize or numb the pain. Fear, the Bible says, causes torment. So when we have fear in our lives, it, it, it causes us to lean in the direction of some type of life-controlling uh, life-dominating issue or problem in our lives, right? So let's just, it's not just limited to what we would call like addiction to alcohol or addiction to drugs, but let's just use that as a simple example. But now notice that as we start down that road to anesthetize and, and our fear, and that's, you know, I guess in some ways it's stereotypical, but we'll just use it anyway, all right? It's like the young man who's very uncomfortable around young ladies until he gets a couple of, 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 of you know, beer in his belly, right? N- now all of a sudden he's relaxed, he's life of the party, he's the social anxiety. Are you following? You see how this works, right? Okay, so we start down that road. Notice now we're just, we're, we're leaning in the direction of, we're predisposed to that. But the more we become dependent upon some substance, it starts to generate fear in our lives as well, right? So notice now, he says, spirit of bondage again to fear. He's talking about fear leading to addiction, addiction leading to more fear, which leads to deeper addiction, which leads to deeper fear, which leads to... Are you seeing how this... Now it becomes this cycle... That, that is self-sustaining. It's, it's, it's where one is feeding off of the other. Okay? 
So what happens is people come to a recovery program or their pastor or, or the altar or what have you, and many times it's the behavior associated with the bondage that they're wanting help with. But notice, if we never deal with the fear, the fear is what cracked the door open to the bondage in the first place. If we never deal with the, with the fear, we're always going to be inclined to the addiction, and yet there are so many programs that never deal with the fear. They only deal with the problem of the addiction and not its underlying partner in crime, so to speak. Are you seeing this? Alright, praise God. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Amen. Well, again, she said if, you're, if you know Jesus, or even if you know Jesus or baptized in the Holy Ghost, why would you be afraid to die? And um, I, I think it would just be back to unknown, people not knowing, people not walking you know, with the Lord, um, lack of faith. Um, Brother, Brother Keith Moore said something this week in a sermon series I'm listening to by him, and it really struck me. It was a simple thing, but it really struck me. He said the Lord spoke to his heart and he said this. Are you ready? He said most people on planet earth are either spiritually dead or spiritually asleep. They're either dead or they're asleep. Spiritually dead, spiritually asleep. And so there's a lot of born again people, sister, who are spiritually asleep. And, and, and all they know about heaven is sitting on a cloud eat, playing a harp, eating cream filled donuts. And it sounds like we get bored in about two days doing that, right? And it's just a transition to a better place, right? Amen. I think, in, I mean, obviously it could be a different thing. He said, why, if you take a shot of heroin knowing there's a chance you could die, um, are you not afraid to die? And I think in that moment, your, your, uh, part of your limbic brain, your cerebral brain, that you're craving it, or your flesh has, has taken over. It's, it's like in that moment, why can't you think of all the negative consequences and, and all that? Now, obviously after the fact, all that comes crashing back in. Michael Dye talks about you know, the difference between the, the cortex part of the brain that, that thinks rationally and the survival brain. Addiction is poking that part with a stick. And so it's not, that, it's not that we don't have control of our faculties, but the more this part of our brain becomes aroused by that thought, he, he, he acted it out this way. Watch this. He acted it out this way. So this is the front of your brain out here that does thinking and that says, you know what? Doing heroin's not going to be good, you know? It, it's, but there's an inner part of your brain that's, that's you know, I'll die if I don't get it. Again, fear of death, right? I'll die if I don't get another drink, that sort of thing. All right. So he did it like this. He said, so my face is like my survival brain, and this is the part of me that thinks rationally. He says it's, it, it just kind of, it becomes so aroused and, and, and craving that it becomes temporarily unavailable. Now what happens after the fact, <clears throat> all comes crashing back in on us. Oh, what did I do? What was I thinking? Other people ask us, what were you thinking? my kids. 
So I connected everything. You know, we're created to worship. So I bow down to heroin. I've surrendered my whole life to heroin. You know, and it's like now I'm having to disconnect everything that I am to that. Not not the drug itself, but the feeling that it gave me, the security that it gave me, the the, the person that I thought I was, the identity in that. You know, and then connecting myself to who I'm really supposed to worship. You know, and so it's just it's like it's. And like you were saying about fear, you know, it's a reverent fear to God. I don't, now I do have a fear of, like, it's not a fear of death, it's just a fear of not being who I'm supposed to be. You know, that's, that's my biggest fear, is living a life and not being the man of God that I'm supposed to be. It's no longer dying. I'm already dead. I'm actually a dead man walking. So that, and that's just the truth of it. But the more and more I, I see that, I don't have a drug problem, I have a me problem, I have a fear problem, like you're saying. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to pray. Amen. That's right. Amen. He's talking about being crucified with Christ. And that old, old part of him. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for this time together this evening. Let everything that my brothers and sisters put their hands to do today prosper for your glory. And we thank you for good things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, good things coming. Oh.